Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let's pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Between birth and obituary, most of us hope to live a life worth living, a life that doesn't fall short. When all is said and done, we would like to have it said of us, either out of admiration or out of envy, well done or better, well-lived. Lives that strive to be enough are lived between what is symbolized by our two passages from John's Gospel, both about Simon. The first passage is about Simon receiving a name, and the second is about facing a death. Simon strives to live up to a nickname given him by Jesus, the one he most wants to please. The second passage takes place after Jesus has died, with Simon thinking Jesus' death will forever define his life, which it will, though not in the way Simon thinks. Listen for the word of God as I read passages from the beginning and the end of John's gospel. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And as he watched, Jesus walked by. He exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak followed him. His name was Andrew, Simon's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. How wonderful for the gospel passage to translate for us so often. (laughs) The second passage is from John 21. When they had finished breakfast, the risen Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know 
everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fashion a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And this he said to him, follow me. The word of the Lord. A scene from The Big Bang Theory. Howard Wolowitz, scheduled to fly into space, is on a Zoom call with an experienced astronaut, Mike Massimino. Mike's nickname is Mass. Howard wonders what his nickname will be because every astronaut gets a nickname and he hopes it'll be something cool like Rocket Man, which also happens to be his dial tone. While Howard talks to Mass, his mother yells with her piercing voice from another room, Howard, your Fruit Loops are getting soggy. Howard apologizes to Mass for the interruption, who answers with a smile, no problem, Fruit Loops. <laughs> and you can see in Howard's face that he's done for. He knows that from this day forward, he'll have to live with the name that's just been given him, Fruit Loops. So often, there's something whimsical in a nickname, isn't there? Today is the first Sunday of the NFL regular season, so my mind goes to sports. Think of all the whimsical nicknames for athletes. There is Wilt the Stilt and Clyde the Glide. There's Primetime, Goose, Catfish, Magic, Sweetness, and Tiger. There's the Juice, the Dream, the Jet, the Mailman, the Rocket, the Golden Bear, and the Round Mound of Rebound. There is Broadway Joe and Shoeless Joe, Iron Mike, Iceman Gervin, Pistol Pete, Charlie Hustle, Two Tall Jones, and Flo Joe. About time a woman made the list. There is Dr. J, Mr. October, and his heirness. I've begun signing emails with GEO so people can trust that the email is legit because there are these scammers who just copy the pastor's name to make you think that I'm them, send them money. And then I realized it didn't take me long to type that, so I started to sign letters, just G-E-O Anderson. Now a few of you are calling me G-O. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> Is Jesus being whimsical when he gives Simon his nickname, Cephas, which is translated Peter, which means rock? Now, we place Jesus in such a high esteem that it's odd to think that Jesus would have this teasing side. I mean, maybe the nickname he gives Simon is this heavy and meaningful moment as if Jesus is answering a baptism question like, by what name do you declare this man's identity before God? His name is Rock. Or maybe his nickname is as weightily considered as the nickname Israel, given to Jacob, a name which means wrestle with God. Although come to think of it, that sounds whimsical as well. So maybe it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that Jesus, knowing Simon already, and I think he knows Simon already, knowing something of Simon's personality is playful in calling him Rocky. Hey, I need a follower who wants to be a leader. I know you, Simon. You can't be in a group without taking charge. I'm calling you Rocky. We're going to build a church on people like you. I don't know. 
But whether Jesus is serious or not, Simon certainly takes his nickname seriously. Because from that moment on, Simon seems determined to prove to Jesus, his rabbi and leader, and maybe more to the point, to prove to himself that he's worthy of that name that Jesus gives him. He wants to show that he can be counted on, that he is a pillar of strength, or maybe part of a foundation on which a community will be built. Over 20 years ago, a group from this church went to Israel. God bless the memory of Lil Brown who led that trip. She herself was a great leader, both in this church and on that trip. Truly a remarkable person. Those of you who knew her know what I mean. And Lil was a rock-like leader. When we were near the Dead Sea, she wanted to see beauty in a botanical garden rather than feeling dirty in a swim in the Dead Sea. So she announced that we were going to skip the sea and see the flowers. I was crushed because I wanted to experience what it's like not to float in water, but to lie on top of the water. But I was a preacher who had to act mature and support our lay leader, so I didn't say anything. My sainted mother, however, was also on the trip and knew how much I wanted to go to the Dead Sea. So she said, I didn't fly all the way to Israel not to swim in the Dead Sea. Lil relented just a little bit, and we got to spend just a few minutes discovering what it's like to lie back or lie on your side or sit down or stand up or do whatever you wanted to do on that water because there was no way you were going to sink. And along with the oily feel of the water that was so saturated with salt and other chemicals, this was a new sensation. You don't get many of those in life. And even though she let us stay only 15 minutes, I left thinking that I experienced something, everything unique about the Dead Sea. I was wrong. This past March, I was able to go back to Israel with Ed McLeod being the leader, a guy who likes to play in oily filling water as much as I do. And I got to spend over an hour in the sea. And from the previous trip, I remembered how jagged the rock was on the bottom. So I brought shoes so that I wouldn't look so wimpy, walking gingerly, taking steps. And someone told me to reach down and grab that rock beneath my feet and try to break it. I did, and I was shocked to discover that the rock just crumbled in my hands. Because it wasn't rock after all but solidified salt and chemicals. That's the kind of rock Peter turns out to be. Oh, he's loyal, following Jesus up to the very end, and he's a leader, often being the first to speak or take action. One of his shining moments is when, after feeding the 5,000 in the Gospel of John, the freshly fed crowd turns their back on Jesus and leaves him because Jesus says something that they think is so gross about their needing to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, runs him away. And after the crowd departs, Jesus turns to the twelve and says, Do you also wish to go away? It's Peter who says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. But there are other moments when Peter, trying to prove that he is enough, that he's worthy of the nickname, just goes too far. You can't find better examples than what you find happening in one single night as told by the Gospel of John. One bravada. 
Before Jesus has his last meal with his disciples, he kneels before them to wash their feet, just like Elizabeth kneeled before the step to collect those tiles. He kneels before them. He's going to wash their feet, and Peter goes too far. He refuses to have his feet washed, basically letting Jesus know that being a servant is not the way to lead. And Jesus insists, and Peter relents. To bravado. Jesus then tells the disciples exactly what's going to happen later that night. It's something that can't be avoided, that one of them is going to betray him, that he is going to be arrested and eventually be killed. And Peter, wanting to prove that he is enough, again goes too far. Peter declares that there's no way that it's going to happen. He's not going to let that happen. Really, Jesus says, before the cock crows, you will have denied knowing me three times. Ouch. Then three bravada. Peter is determined to prove Jesus wrong and show that he is enough. And when the arresting party comes, Peter takes out his knife and attacks, and he cuts off the ear of a member of the arresting party. But before a medley breaks out, Jesus intervenes. He tells Peter that's not the way, and he heals the man's ear. And then seeing Jesus led away by that party, there's no bravado left. The rock crumbles. Peter can't help but make his way into the courtyard outside the room where Jesus is being interrogated. Peter sits in a circle around a charcoal fire. And three times, Peter, having showed his bravado three times, three times shows just how crumpled the rock now is. Three times he has asked if he is not one of Jesus' followers. And one of those who ask him is a relative of the man whose ear he severed. And three times Peter denies knowing him. And then the cock crows. Others hear a rooster, but Peter hears the translation, you are not enough. Now some might suggest that Peter's problem here is that he just doesn't have enough faith, that he's not religious enough. But I think that maybe his problem is that he's too religious. I know that sounds odd, so let me explain. Being religious, as I'm thinking about it, is having a deep devotion to someone or something that gives you your identity and kind of directs how you live. And we're all wired to be religious that way. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to believe in God to have a devotion to something that defines you and, and tells you about how life is to be lived, that lets you know how life is worth living and sets standards for what must be done to be enough. The church word for being enough, by the way, is righteous. You can even be a Christian and be like me get sucked into believing that there's some type of righteousness that can be achieved where God can then finally say, George, you did it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the reward that is yours. And so one tries to be devout and keep all the rules, and another tries to be correct and take all the right stands on issues. And you know what? Both have this anxiety in them. Both are anxious because both know deep, down that it's not going to be enough, that they are not enough. Peter spent his entire time following Jesus, trying to prove that he belonged, trying to prove that he is enough, 
trying to be the rock that he was called. And what he can't hear, even Jesus telling him what he can't hear is that it's not possible for him to be enough. He can't do it on his own. Peter will never be enough because we always can do better. We always can be better if we hope to be the rock that Jesus can always count on. Right after Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times, he then told Peter this, but let not your heart be troubled. What I have to do, I have to do alone. Where I am going, you can't come, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I will return and take you to where you need to go. I will take you into God's house with many rooms, there even being a room for someone who denies knowing me like you. Jesus is telling Peter, I can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. What can you and I do in order to be worthy? What can we do to prove to God, to prove to ourselves that we're enough to be loved and accepted? I hope you already know the answer to that question because we talk about it all the time in church. You cannot come to worship here at Second Presbyterian Church without hearing multiple times from this pulpit the answer, and the answer is absolutely nothing. We are saved solely by the grace of God. That God loves us is what makes us enough. Now, that answer is not extraordinary because you hear it all the time, but that answer is extraordinary because this is one of the few places where you can still hear it. One of the few places in our culture where you will hear it because out there in the world, we will never be good enough in athletics or the arts. It's not going to happen. We'll never be good enough at school or in the community. Never right enough when it comes to taking stands. Never rich enough when it comes to winning the game of having the most toys. Never powerful enough when it comes to having your way. Never good enough when it comes to doing what is right. Never smart enough when it comes to being wise. Never healthy enough when it comes to exercise and diet. Never loving enough when it comes to people that you most want to love and most want them to love you. We're always going to fall short. We're always going to be in this constant state of striving or of stressing and trying to be enough. Even in many Christian churches, despite talking about grace, the truth of what I just said can get lost. When faith becomes a self-improvement scheme, we'll never improve enough. When faith becomes a way to believe, we'll never get it completely right. When faith becomes a way to behave, we will never be good enough. When faith becomes a social justice movement, we will never do enough. When faith becomes the right stands to take, we will never take all the stands that we should take or take all the right ones and we'll never back them all up. I don't want you to get me wrong. I am not saying that our Christian faith cannot lead to change lives and better behavior. It can, even though sometimes physical or mental illness gets in the way or grinding conditions in life 
get in the way of our projects of self-improvement or making the world a better place. And sometimes we just get too mad. Sometimes the worst selves get drawn out of ourselves and we just forget who we are. We get so caught up in a cause where there are the good people and the bad people and then we start demonizing. It happens to Christians all the time. It happens to everyone all the time. But yes, our faith can positively affect our lives and behavior. But the point is that our efforts to become good enough has nothing to do with our getting saved. I've talked to a number of people at the end of their lives who had been afraid to live because they were afraid to fail and then were afraid to die because they were afraid that they didn't do enough. And the only thing that I've been able to say to them that has sometimes anyway had some value and worth or had an impact is, is to say to them over and over again something of what Jesus says three times to Peter so he can hear it. Jesus is cooking breakfast on a charcoal fire. Simon Peter is standing in a circle around it and Jesus asks him, Simon, Notice that Jesus doesn't call him by the nickname now. He calls him by the name his mama and daddy gave him. Simon, John's son, do you love me more than these? I hear Jesus poking again, poking at Simon because Simon knows that right now he is a less than disciple, not a more than disciple. The charcoal fire reminds him of that. For the last charcoal fire he stood beside, was when he denied knowing Jesus three times. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. You can imagine Simon studying his sandals and about to apologize and insist, Jesus, next time I'm going to do better. But Jesus doesn't give him a chance. He says, feed my sheep. And then he asks a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, you can imagine Simon wanting to explain that, yes, Jesus, I know I failed you, but you've got to believe me. I do love you. But all he says is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus knows what Simon has done, and he knows Simon will fail again. But he says again, feed my sheep. And then the third time to match the third betrayal, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now the text tells us just how flustered and frustrated Simon is. He says, Jesus, you can see right through me. You know everything. You know everything that is wrong with me and every way that I have failed you. You know me, so you've got to at least know this, that I love you. And Jesus says the third time, feed my sheep. What I hear Jesus saying to Simon is that you were never supposed to be the rock. God's love is the rock. That's what cannot be broken. So knowing you messed up and knowing that you're still going to fall short, and yes, Peter does mess up again. Just read the book of Acts. Knowing that you on your own will never be good enough, never be enough, just go ahead and live your life. Feed my sheep as best you can. Because at the end, it will be enough. Not what you did. God's love will be enough. And that's news we need to remember. 
Second Presbyterian, Finding Direction by Following Jesus.